Um, if you will take out your sermon notes uh, for this week, you will need them. Uh, this is going to be filled with facts um, and truth, which I hope will uh, really come in handy in your lives. Um, I am Colonel James Lewis, and uh, as you can see, I am an actively serving member of the United States Army for uh, 30 years, 27 active actually in the Army JAG Corps, and for those of you who don't know what the Judge Advocate General's Corps is, each service, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, has a, uh, a, a team of lawyers. Um, yes, I am a lawyer. Don't start throwing rotten fruit and vegetables at me. I'm one of the good guys. Um, but my wife is also an active service uh, member of the JAG Corps, and she has served for about 25 years, and she has tendered her retirement paperwork, so she will soon be rejoining the ranks of the civilians. Um, Patricia and I, uh, and our, our four children, first came to Christ Church about maybe two years ago. Uh, we were seeking a church where we could find the gospel preached in truth. We were also seeking a place where we could worship with folks who were filled with God's love. Uh, we didn't know it, but what we were really looking for was a church where um, the pastor, the pastoral team, and the congregation loved God and served God, served others, and lived out the gospel life. And guess what we found? We found a home in Christ Church. And so we're now um, members, I'm happy to say. Well, last week, Pastor John began a new sermon series called Defeating the Enemy. Um, it, it makes sense that I'm up here, but this, I, am a good lesson, and be careful what you ask for. Be very careful. So the sermon series is based on the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, verses uh, 10 through 14, and it addresses the full armor of God that we must put on daily. Last week, if you were here, Pastor John provided us with a thorough overview of the series, and he left us with a very clear message that Satan's primary weapon that he uses against us is the lie. He also taught us that our primary, most effective defense to that weapon, and as a military man, I'll tell you, it is not military tactics, technology, weaponry, or even will. It is very simply truth. That's it, just truth. So today I do have the honor of bringing to you this week's message, which really focuses on one aspect of the full armor that we have to wear as we fight the spiritual battles that are being waged around us every single day. And the aspect of the armor that I'll be talking to you about today is the belt of truth. Now before I go any further, I have to make sure we're all coming at this from the same point. <laughs> I want to make sure that when I say belt of truth, we don't think about the belt that we're going to put on Thanksgiving. You know the one, you put it on and it keeps everything tight, right? When it comes off, either of its own accord, <laughs> or because you do it volitionally, the truth of our physiques becomes self-evident. Don't laugh too hard, front row. I am cinched in tight. <laughs> you are at ground zero, and I, I make no promises about what happens with these buttons. I'm also not making reference when I talk about the belt of truth today to what some of our parents used against us when we were children to exact confessions or to mete out justice. Yeah, I can tell from the snickers and the twitching eyes, you know what I'm talking about. I still remember some of those applications of that particular belt of truth, but that's not what I'm talking about today. Now today, the belt of truth that I'll be making reference to is the real deal. It is the proven effective defense that we have against something that I hope you recognize is a real thing. It's Satan's lies. 
We need that defense as we fight against those lies, as we engage in spiritual combat. I'm going to pause for a moment just to ask you all a question. And for those of you who are blessed, cursed, to be here live, seeing me, by show of hands, as you sit here today, how many of you believe that there is a spiritual war being raised, waged around us every single day? By show of hands. Thank you. My prayer is that by the time this lesson is over, all of you will recognize that truth, because it is a truth. This is a war that actually began years ago when Satan first rebelled against the Lord God. And for that sin, Satan and his supporters were cast out of heaven. And from that day to this, the sole purpose of Satan has been to take from God, to steal away from God that which God finds most precious, that which he loves more than anything, and that's you and me. And we see from the beginning, from our very creation, how Satan worked, desperately worked, to accomplish his goal. As a matter of fact, in the first biblical account of Satan's appearance in the form of a serpent, we really see how he deceived Adam and Eve. Look at those eyes. Adam and Eve, man, we're going in a wayback machine. Do we really have to go way back there to figure out how Satan works? After all, you're probably thinking, Mr. Colonel, don't we have grace? Hasn't God died for our sins? And don't we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior? And on and on. You're right, Bible scholars. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The tactics that Satan used way back in the garden to deceive Adam and Eve, those same tired tactics are the ones he uses against us today. And as everyone who has served or is currently serving can tell you, knowing the tactics of your enemy helps you to defeat that enemy. Are we on the same sheet of music so far? All right, here we go. The tactics he uses work, work this way. Number one, he creates doubt about the truth. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 indicates, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The tenor of that question should sound very familiar. That's exactly what he does today. He causes us to try to doubt the truth. The next thing he does is this, is this tactic is he contradicts God's clear statements. Contradiction. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, here's Eve's response to Satan's challenge. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. Did you see what just happened? Satan said the exact opposite of what God said. The exact opposite. And Eve listened. Why would she listen? You ever wonder that? Remember what was going on at the time. Eve was in perfect unity with God, and everything God had said was true. And then here comes the serpent slithering up, and he says, no, it's not true. God is lying. Why would she listen? I'll tell you why Eve listened. She listened too long, and then she believed. And once she believed, 
That's how Eve was deceived. And there's no difference today. But there's a third, the third tactic. Satan communicates an alternative to the truth. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. This is what Satan is saying to Eve. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here is where we find Satan's two most favorite lies in all of the world. Lie number one, you're missing out on something. He's telling Eve, hey, you know, you can't discern good from evil. You don't know what's good. You don't know what's evil. Wouldn't you like to have that? You don't have it. And the only way you can get it is by doing this thing that God told you not to do. So number one, missing out on something. Lie number two, you can be your own God. You can be independent of God. Now, that is a lie from the pit. There is no true independence. There is none. Either we're sons and daughters of God or we're enslaved to the evil one. There's no middle ground. What Satan does, as he did with Adam and Eve, is he baits us by whispering in our ears that we can be our own God and that we don't have to be accountable to anyone. But we know that's not true. We, we know that. We're all accountable to someone. Married people, raise your hands. Who's married? Guess what? You're accountable to your spouses. Those who are single, you're not off the hook. You got friends? You're accountable to your friends to some extent. Who's employed? Praise the Lord. Guess what? You're accountable to your employers. Yeah, most of us have many people above us. There is no true, no true independence. Satan is a piece of work, isn't he? Here's what Jesus says about Satan in John chapter 8, verse 44. He says, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He's a busy person. He is our foe. Make no mistake about it. But as Pastor John conveyed last week, he is a defeated foe. He seems powerful, right? He's turning person against person. He's wreaking havoc. But here's the thing. Jesus' victory on the cross defeated Satan. And if we are enveloped in Christ, if we share, then we share that victory with him. We share the victory with Christ over death, over sin, and yes, over Satan. Satan received a death blow from the cross. So what are we seeing now with all the chaos and turmoil? Doesn't seem like he's quite dead, does it? Well, what we're seeing are the last breaths being taken from our enemy, and he's lashing out at every opportunity in a desperate rage, and he hates you. He hates all of us. He hates us because we're precious to God. But if you're a believer, if you are in Christ, Satan has no power, no control, no authority over you, except, except for what you give him when you listen to and believe his lies. That's when you give him power. And if we do that, if we take his bait, it can cost us everything. All of our hopes, all of our dreams, it could cost us our reputation, our freedom, our reputations are important to us. And what about our witness? Satan wants to destroy everything about us, especially our relationships. Why would that be important to Satan? Why would Satan care about our relationships? I'll tell you why. It's because he recognizes something that's very, very key. And we need to understand this as well. 
We were created for relationships. That's why God created us. Remember, initially he created us so that he could have a relationship with us and we with him. And then he felt sorry for down in the mouth, Adam. I'm lonely. All the animals got somebody. And he decided, okay, I'll make you a helpmate. So now we can have a relationship with one another. That's how we were created. And Satan knows that without our vertical relationship with God, we're spiritually empty. He also knows that without our horizontal relationships and friendships with one another, we are emotionally empty. And let me tell you something. There is no worse feeling than that feeling that you have the day you wake up and you finally realize that you are spiritually and emotionally bankrupt and alone, and all because you believed the father of lies. Trust me on that. And this is why it's so important to be aware of the devil's schemes. When we listen to Satan, we suffer. We suffer consequences I like to call the triple whammy. I'll tell you about the triple whammy. Whammy number one is shame. Let's look at the Bible and see how that manifested itself with Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 7, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the, both of them, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Shame. It always follows sin, no matter what the whisperings of the evil one tell you. Whammy number two is blame. We look here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. After the sin was conceived, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Then he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, the woman, the one you put here uh, with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I did eat. You see what happened there? The weight of the sin was so great that even back then, it was too great for Adam to bear. So not only did he try to cast the blame on his woman, sound familiar, guys? <laughs> but he also tried to lay blame on the Lord God himself, the woman that you put here. Blame. But there's a third whammy, pain. For that, let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. I'm sorry. 3, 16 through 17. Then he, this is God talking, he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Pain. It always follows sin. When Satan promises you something, understand this. It is truly only a lure with a hook in it. And at the end of that hook is the triple whammy of shame, blame, and pain. 
Pastor John preached this message about four, five years ago, and when he did so, he used a very descriptive analogy of the treble hook, something that real fishermen will recognize. But picture this. Picture a hook itself just one, there are three. A nice, delectable piece of bait. The fish opens its mouth wide, swallows it whole, and he's hooked. That's what happens when we sin. But knowing the result of Satan's schemes, we have to ask ourselves, why do we fall prey to it? Remember, they're the same old tired tactics. And it's because of those tactics. If we don't know the tactics, we're not forewarned and forearmed, we fall prey to them. Remember, he creates doubt about the truth. He contradicts God's clear statements. And then he gives alternatives to the truth. It's quite crafty, isn't it? It's well thought out. But that's not even the whole of it. He goes further. Because when he whispers in our ears, suggesting certain things, he then works to try to deceive us into thinking that it's our own thoughts, that we originated these things. Thoughts such as, let's see, I can't overcome my upbringing. This is the way I was taught. My father did this. My father's father before him. So why bother to try to break out of the mold? It's who I was meant to be. Or how about this line? I deserve better. I work hard. I always have. I'm not recognized nor am I compensated for my hard work. So you know, I'll make myself whole by taking a little extra something, something from the office. Or how about this one? My wife made me do it. She knows how to push my buttons. I tell her all the time to lay off. She doesn't listen to me. She had it coming. She knew it was her fault. Or how about this one that is so subtle and diabolical, but so effective? It's all right. You heard that one? It's all right. There are no real victims here. Nobody really cares. God understands. These lies and schemes come at us daily. We have to know how to protect ourselves from it. How do we protect ourselves from it, you ask? Great question. And now we get to the heart of it. Now we get to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Boy, that was a big buildup, wasn't it? But here we are. Let's get to it. Ready? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, pause. Notice he didn't say if. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Let's say that together. Stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. My goodness. Satan's primary weapon is the lie. Our primary defense to that weapon is truth. Understand that when the lies come, if you present and reveal the truth, the power of the lie just falls away. It dissipates like ether. It becomes nothing. You see it for what it truly is. But where did this armor of God imagery come from? You ever wonder that? The armor of God imagery? Understand that the book of Ephesians um, was written by the apostle Paul. Um, Paul, and this is just going to take a second just to bring us all up to speed so we're coming at this from a similar standpoint. Uh, the apostle Paul was born in a place called Tarshish, 
which was in a place known as Sicilia. It was a Roman province. And because it was a Roman province, guess who marched around all the time as Paul was growing up? Roman soldiers. So he got to see up close and personal the armor of the soldier. Paul, before he took his final missionary journey, was engaged in some extracurricular activities, shall we say. And I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. He was in Jerusalem, and he was accused falsely of allowing a Gentile to enter into a temple. Not done. He didn't do it, but nonetheless, there was this big hullabaloo. Uh, it culminated in a big riot. The Romans were like, can't have that. So Paul was arrested, and because he was a Roman citizen, he demanded his right to a trial in Rome. So Paul was placed on a ship along with a Roman centurion who was not there to make sure he enjoyed the cruise. The Roman centurion was there to make sure that Paul got to the, let's say, the court on time, although that didn't happen because due to a series of unfortunate events, what should have been a short journey turned out to be over two weeks. And guess who Paul was stuck to that entire two weeks' time? The Roman centurion, where he got to see the uniform with all that army, armor and regalia. When Paul finally got to Rome, you may remember what happened to him. Two years, over two years of house arrest, not alone, Somebody had to make sure he didn't leave his house. Guess who that was? A Roman soldier. So Paul was intimately familiar with the way the armor and the entire uniform looked, and he knew that the church at Ephesus was also familiar with that, so he used that Roman armor as a metaphor. Paul saw in the physical armor of the Roman soldier a metaphor, a metaphor for the spiritual armor that we have to protect us against the attacks of our enemy. And he began to address that armor by talking about the belt of truth. The belt of truth is simply a metaphor for the Roman soldier's military belt. So give me a minute to talk about the military belt. You should know that the wearing of arms, especially the sword, defined Roman soldiers back in the day. And by extension, the large leather belt that they wore to which the sword was attached, that also became a key feature of soldierly dress. So the belt was this thick leather heavy belt, not like the bonded stuff we get today that peels apart. This was solid. It was sturdy. And you have uh, studs around it, right? And it was this big buckle, heavy. And it was sometimes with these little jingle-jangle things around it. So when they walked, not only would you hear the hobnails on the bottoms of their sandals, but you hear the jingle-jangle of the belt, right? And then attached to the belt, as I said, you had the sword. When you saw the soldiers, you'd hope the sword was attached to the belt and not pointing to you. You also had something else. You had leather straps that hung down from the belt. Uh, these straps served a very important purpose to the soldier. They protected his loins in battle, and as every man will tell you, you've got to protect the loins. <laughs> you also had, because that wasn't it, um, you had the fact that the belt, like, much like a weightlifter's belt today, the belt gave strength and stability to the soldier's core. Remember, the soldier has this heavy breastplate, which, by the way, for those of you who have served and you've worn body armor, or those of you who are in civilian law enforcement and you've done the same, you know how heavy and unwieldy that can be. Well, we have the benefit of the NASA program, right? We have Velcro to keep our heavy uh, armor in place, but not the Roman soldier. The belt, because of its heaviness and sturdiness, it kept it from sliding too low. So that belt gave strength and stability to the soldier's core. I'm going to say that one more time. 
The belt gave strength and stability to the soldier's core. The belt defined the soldier, so much so that if you took that belt away in public for hours or even days, it was considered to be a humiliation to that soldier and therefore was used as a disciplinary measure. Soldiers didn't just wear their belts when they had uniforms on. When they were in their civvies, their civilian clothes, they would also wear the belt. And you hear the jangle, you see it, and so you knew that was a soldier. If you saw an older person wearing a belt, you knew that that person was a soldier who had retired honorably because they were permitted to keep the belt. The belt defined the soldier. Are you getting what I'm talking about so far? Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen, Paul is saying this. Just as the soldier's belt gave the soldier strength and stabilized his core, so too will the truth of God's word give us strength and stabilize our core. You with me? The belt of truth defines us. Truth. Which takes us to another question. What is truth? Isn't that a strange question? What is truth? Is it really that strange in 2018? When people are trafficking in truth like drug dealers traffic in drugs, when people are leaning on lies, when people take the truth and present it and castigate it as a lie, and then they take a lie and present it to you, behold the truth. We need to know what is truth. And what truth is, in essence, short form, truth is reality. It's things as they really are. Not as we want it to be, not as it sounds like, not what it looks like, not what we hoped it would be. It is simply reality. It's the undergirding reality that holds everything else up. And get this, truth doesn't change. It doesn't. It doesn't change with culture. It doesn't change with your beliefs. Hear me. It doesn't change depending upon the political party you support. Hear me. It doesn't change depending on who's sitting in the White House. Truth is eternal. Truth is timeless. Truth. You know, when the Bible refers to truth, it's often referring to a person. Listen to this. John has a lot to say about truth. We'll start with John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then in John chapter 8, verse 32, I'm sorry, yes, no, I'm sorry, John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now to John 8 and 32, Jesus said, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. By the way, you have a little something, something extra in your um, envelopes. I did the walk to Emmaus last week. I got used to getting swag, so you have swag there in your magnets. Please post it someplace nice. So, you may be thinking, this has all been very nice. I've learned about thick leather belts and jingle jangles. But what am I supposed to do with this? What's the so what, Colonel Lewis? What am I supposed to do? Well, I'm glad you asked that. You guys have such great questions, and I'm going to answer the question for you. <laughs> Number one, make time to get to know the truth. And if you knew it once, get reacquainted with it. And you do that, by the way, by reading your word. Read the Bible, Bible study. Fellowship it with other believers. Get to know or reacquaint yourself with the truth. And number two, 
as soon as you start to hear those whispers where Satan is introducing those little seeds into your mind, I want you to do this. Determine whether or not it is consistent with God's word. Is it consistent with God's word? If the answer to those questions is no, then the answer is no. Remember, no means no. And remember this, if you listen to Satan long enough, it's then that you will begin to believe. And belief is the conception of the deception. You listen, you believe. Once you believe, you are deceived. We have to break that dynamic. And there's only one way to do it. It is only the truth of God's word that gives us the strength to stand, to stand in the face of the lies and the schemes of the enemy. And this is an enemy who wants nothing less than to destroy you. He wants to destroy our relationships, our career, our reputations, our witness, and if he could, even our salvation. When I first began today's lesson, I asked you a question. I asked whether or not, as you sit here today, you believe that there is a spiritual war being waged all around us. I pray that in time, very soon, you will all recognize that truth. I know that some of you do. You know that there is a war. And these are battles, by the way, that are fought minute by minute in the battlefields of the mind and the heart. And some of you, I suspect, are fighting battles right now. There may be battles that you fought for a very long time, so long, in fact, that you're getting weary, and you're beginning to wonder, what's the point? Why don't I just surrender to the enemy? After all, it seems that all that happens is I give up ground to the enemy, so why not just give up? Why not just surrender to that enemy? Well, I have what I hope you will regard to be good news. And that news is this. None of us were ever intended to face this enemy alone. No, we have God's precious Holy Spirit to give us strength and guidance, to increase our faith, to give us courage, to give us endurance, to help us to see what's really taking place, to give us discernment and wisdom. And you know what else we have? We have one another to encourage and to lift up and to pray with and for one another, which I'd like to do right now. If you please bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, I, I thank you so much for your word, the truth of your word. I pray that from this day forward, we'll all recognize exactly what's taking place all around us, that there's spiritual warfare, a war for which we all need to suit up. We need to gird ourselves, particularly with the belt of truth. And Lord, because this war is being waged all around us with such ferocity, we cannot have deserters. No one can go AWOL in this world. Lord, this war is one where we have to be more than conquerors. We have to all be victorious warriors. I pray, Lord, that you allow us to recognize the need to remain in your word, to abide there so that we can understand the truth, so that we can understand when the deceptions come. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, James. I told you.
You think he's called to the ministry? Yeah, I do too. I do too. We, I look forward to, to uh, walking this journey with James as, uh, as he continues to uh, wrestle with the call and see how God will use him. You know, the, one of the really cool things about uh, Christ Church is that just over the last five years alone, there have been four of our own, four of our own family members who have received a, a Holy Spirit call to the ministry. Uh, pastor Tony being one of them as uh, our online campus pastor here. Uh, Pamela Kipps, who uh, is uh, finishing up her theological degree right now. Uh, another uh, individual uh, who is uh, wrestling with that call, and uh, now James. And what a privilege it is to be a part of a church where the Holy Spirit is at work. This is what happens in a church that is healthy, where people are listening to the Spirit's call, because He does call us, and He calls us whether it is your full-time call to the ministry or not, He does in fact call us to love God, to love others, and then to what? To live out the gospel life, right? To live it out, to make a difference in the world around us. Well, we're going to invite our ushers to come forward on the seat back uh, seat back in front of you. You'll find a card like this. If you have not yet turned in your Greater Things card to let us know uh, about your financial commitment for 2019 and uh, the uh, incredible uh, opportunities that God has placed before us, I hope that you'll take a chance to do that here either today or sometime before the end of the year. If you would also like a, uh, a detailed copy of our uh, budget for 2019, our ushers will have those available for you. If you'd like, all you have to do is ask for one on the way out. But in the meantime, we know one thing and one thing for sure, that you can never, ever, 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 ever do what? Outgive God. God bless you, everybody.
Still, e e 